0: Greetings everyone, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are. Thank you all so much for your continued support on this channel, Back to Ashes. Speaking of, it is time to go back to ashes, for when we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, and stronger person in the morning. Sit back, get comfortable, or tuck in and get warm, and let's get started With these true, deep woods stories. My friends and I used to wander in the dark woods at night, wielding little more than our flashlights and overactive imaginations. It was the surge of adrenaline we needed, gained from harmless, non-existent horror. Lucky for us, there was a forest bordering our neighborhood. It was full of ancient trees that creaked in the wind. Our parents had often warned us about entering the woods, claiming the trees would fall due to the weakest gust of wind. Of course, their warnings fell on deaf ears. We were young and felt invincible, though we pretended to be brave. We usually didn't get far into the darkness of the woods before cowering in fear. Each time, we'd mark how far we'd gotten before giving up. And each time, we set out on a new adventure. We promised each other to break the record. Our last journey occurred on the 29th of October, 2012. Liam and Frank were my best friends. Together, we ventured deeper into the woods than we ever had before. Liam, being a year older, always pretended to have all the experience in the world. He'd hide in the bushes a few yards away, and jump out in a pathetic attempt at scaring us. Before long, we'd reach the furthest point we'd previously reached, the 9th of April, 2012, it read. We kept walking, proud that we'd reach a new milestone. Shortly after, we'd noticed something in the darkness, contrasting starkly to the trees around it. Hey, what's that? Liam asked. I don't know. Let's check it out. I basically yelled in response. As we got closer, we realized it was an old bunker. While it was a cool discovery, it wasn't that uncommon in our country. There were still thousands of concrete bunkers remaining after World War II. Still, we were excited to explore our new findings. Inside, it was rid of any equipment. All it contained was was a hole in the middle, with a spiral staircase stretching deep into the ground. Let's climb down, Liam suggested. I I don't know, Frank stuttered. It doesn't seem like a good idea. The stairs might break and trap us inside. You're just scared. Admit it, Liam teased back. Not willing to admit our nervousness, Frank and I agreed to follow him down the stairs. The stairs themselves were made from metal. Though they felt solid enough, they produced loud, echoing sounds with each step down towards the bottom. After a minute without the end in sight, I started to get scared. How deep does this go? I asked. In response, Liam took Frank's flashlight and dropped it down the middle of the staircase. It fell, deep into the darkness. Holy crap, I can't see it anymore. We need to go back, it's too far down, Frank said nervously. No way, we need to see where this leads. A short argument ensued. After some pushing, Frank gave in, and we kept going down. It took us more than 10 minutes just to descend the staircase. As we got further down, it progressively kept getting warmer and more humid. I could feel the sweat form on my face as we reached the bottom. Once down, we found a large room. It contained little more than a locked door, mold-covered floors, and the broken flashlight, Liam had dropped down. It's locked. I guess we have to go back, I weakly insisted. But Liam had already set out on the search to open the door. Before long, he found a metal panel on the wall. He pried it open to reveal a lever. I'm going to pull it, he said, without consulting us. It produced a loud clunk and the locked door slid open. Liam and I entered first while Frank trailed behind us. Without a flashlight, he had no choice but to follow us closely. Inside, we found a narrow hallway filled with open prison cells. Each door to each cell was marked with a date. July 7th. 1954 August 9th, 1954 September 13th, 1954 The first few rooms didn't seem to contain anything other than dust, but once we got to the end, we noticed something lying in the corner. There, on the floor, lay three completely emaciated people. They looked like skeletons covered in a thin layer of pale skin. According to the dates on the cells, they'd been there for more than 50 years, yet they hadn't rotted. Are they... are they dead? I asked. As I uttered those words, I could have sworn I saw one twitch. We jumped at the sight and prepared to run. Frank jumped back and slammed into one of the gel cells, which then caused more of these emaciated-looking people to drop right in front of us, blocking the way. Their limbs looked all deformed, or too long to fit their small bodies. Their eyes had been sewn shut, and they had far too many ribs. Run, Frank yelled. We started moving towards the exit and spurting for the door. Frank and I made it easily enough. But Liam's backpack got stuck in one of the jail cell doors. Don't leave me, he screamed. Because Frank and I were so shaken up, we continued running for the door. Our footsteps were dampened by the fungus and mold covering the floor. We finally reached the metal staircase There, our steps rang loud enough through the metal. Without looking behind us, we ran up the stairs, only listening to see if Liam got loose. I was only a few steps ahead of Frank. And then, I heard a scream of agony echoing throughout the room. It was Frank. He had gotten tripped up on the steps. Me being as scared as I was, I continued to ascend. I just kept running up the stairs, and into the woods. I didn't stop to breathe before I finally reached the comfort of the streetlights surrounding my neighborhood. Exhausted from the escape, I collapsed on my own doorstep and passed out. Safe, but still shaken up. Once I regained consciousness, I told my parents everything. At first, they didn't believe me, but... Once the news of two missing children spread around our town, the police were alerted. Still, they couldn't confirm my story. They initiated a search and rescue operation. Though they found the bunker, I mentioned, there were no traces of Liam or Frank. To this day, the case remains unsolved. However, since we opened the cages in the bunker there have been a lot of reported cases of missing children. I couldn't help but wonder if there was still someone using that bunker for not only Liam and Frank to go missing, but the others as well. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a warm summer evening. And my friends and I decided to go camping in the woods. We had found a clearing near a river and set up our tents. We spent the day fishing, swimming, and exploring the area. As the sun started to set, we built a campfire and settled in for the night. It was around midnight when I woke up to the sound of rustling in the bushes. I assumed it was just an animal and tried to go back to sleep, but then I heard footsteps approaching our campsite. I sat up and looked around, but I couldn't see anything in the darkness. The footsteps stopped, and I heard someone whispering. I couldn't make out what they were saying, but it sounded like they were trying to be quiet. I woke up my friends and we grabbed our flashlights and knives. We stepped outside our tents and saw a figure standing near the river. It was too dark to make out any details, but it was clear that whoever it was, they weren't supposed to be there. We called out to them, but they didn't respond. Instead, they started walking towards us, We backed up towards the fire, but that's when we saw it. The figure was holding an axe. We were terrified. We had no idea what to do. We tried to reason with the man, but he didn't say a word. He just kept walking towards us, holding the axe in his hand. We knew we had to defend ourselves, so we raised our knives and pointed it at him. Just as we were about to make a move, the man turned around and walked back into the woods. We watched him disappear into the darkness, and we were left there, shaking and scared. We stayed up the rest of the night, taking turns keeping watch. We never saw or heard anything else, but we couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. The next morning, we packed up our things and left Those woods. We reported the incident to the police, but they never found the person with the axe. To this day, I still get chills thinking about that night in the woods. I had always loved the outdoors and the woods, the smell of pine trees. The sound of the birds and the feel of the cool breeze on my face were all things that made me feel alive. So, when my friend suggested that we go camping in the woods, I jumped at the opportunity. We packed our gear and drove to our favorite campsite. It was a secluded spot deep in the woods, far away from civilization. We set up our tents and started a campfire we spent the evening roasting marshmallows and telling ghost stories. As the night grew darker, we decided to turn in for the night. I crawled into my sleeping bag, feeling cozy and comfortable. But then, something caught my attention. I heard a rustling sound coming from outside our tent. At first, I thought it was just an animal, but as the sound got louder... I realized that it was something much more sinister. I shook my friends awake and we huddled together listening for the noise. Suddenly, the tent zipper started to move. Someone or something was trying to get in. We screamed and the noise stopped. But we could hear footsteps circling around our tent and we knew that we were in danger. We tried to stay quiet and still, hoping that whoever or whatever it was would go away. But then, we heard a voice. It was a low, guttural sound, and it was speaking in a language we didn't understand. We knew we had to get out of there. We unzipped the tent and ran into the darkness, not looking back. We ran for what felt like hours until we saw a light in the distance. It was a ranger station. We stumbled inside, panting and out of breath. The ranger looked at us with concern and asked what had happened. We told him about the noise and the voice, and he seemed to listen attentively. But... When we tried to lead him back to the campsite, we couldn't find it. It was as if it had disappeared into thin air. The ranger searched the area, but there was no sign of any disturbance. We left the woods that night, shaken and scared. We never went back to that campsite, and we never spoke of what had happened again. The experience had taught me that the woods were not just a place of beauty and wonder, but also a place of mystery and danger. We have a camp that we visit during the hunting months and about every other weekend in between that. To get to our camp, You have to turn off a major road onto a gravel road, drive about a mile, then turn onto another gravel road for about a half a mile. It's set between a few other camps, plus some residents that live out there. It's quiet, for the most part. There are some coyotes and bobcats. Bobcats are the worst due to their terrible scream. It sounds like a woman... Crying for help. There has also been a black panther and wild dog spotted there as well. 2013, we were at the camp for Thanksgiving. We hunted, fished, cooked, drank, all that good camp stuff. One night, we were sitting around a fire, swapping funny stories, and just listening to the silence of the woods. As we're talking, we all hear it. Help me. At first, we thought it was a bobcat. We listened some more and heard it again. It was a man's voice yelling, Help me, repeatedly. Now, our first instinct was to grab our guns. Second was to go towards the voice. But... You never know what you will encounter in the woods. It was dark and cold. The hunters knew the area very well. We called the police and explained everything to the responding officers. The weird part was that we never once heard it while the officers were with us. Not once. The officers left and we heard the man again. Repeating, help me. About half an hour later, the officers came back and we didn't hear any call for help. Again, silence. We all decided it was best to go inside our camp for the night. We never did find out anything. I've only been back to that campsite once since then. It still freaks me out to this day. I was always a nature lover and spent most of my free time in the woods. It was my sanctuary, my escape from the chaos of the world. But one day, that sanctuary was invaded by two men who changed my life forever. It was a crisp autumn afternoon and I had decided to take a hike in the woods. The leaves were changing color and the air was filled with the sweet scent of pine needles. I was lost in my thoughts, enjoying the solitude, when I heard footsteps behind me. I turned around and saw two men, dressed in hoodies and jeans, approaching me. They looked like they were in their late twenties, and they had a wild, unpredictable look in their eyes. Before I could say anything, they grabbed me and pulled me off the trail. I tried to fight back, but they were too strong. They pushed me to the ground and held me down. I screamed for help, but the woods were deserted and no one came. I could feel their hot breath on my face, and I knew that something terrible was about to happen. They started to rip my clothes off and I begged them to stop, but they were determined to hurt me, to take what they wanted from me. They laughed as they assaulted me, taking turns, leaving me bruised and battered. I cried out in pain, but they didn't care. They were getting pleasure from my suffering. After what felt like an eternity, they finally left me there, broken and violated. I lay there for hours, unable to move, unable to comprehend what had just happened. When I finally regained my strength, I managed to crawl back to the trail and find my way out of the woods. I reported the incident to the authorities, but those guys were never caught. The physical wounds healed over time but the emotional scars will never go away. I was left with a sense of shame and violation that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. I stopped going to the woods after that day. The thought of being alone in the wilderness now terrifies me. I lost my sanctuary, my escape from the world, and I was left with nothing but fear and pain. I tried to seek help, to talk to therapists, to move on from the trauma. But it was always there, lurking in the back of my mind, haunting me. Years went by, and I thought I had come to terms with what had happened. But then, I heard that two men had been arrested for a similar crime in the same area. I knew that they were the same men who had attacked me all those years ago. I went to the trial and I faced my attackers in court. I told my story and I saw the fear in their eyes as they realized that they were going to pay for what they had done. It was a small victory, but it gave me some closure. I learned that I wasn't alone, that there were others who had suffered like me and I realized that I was stronger than I had ever thought possible. But the woods will never be the same for me. The sanctuary that I had cherished was destroyed by two men who had no regard for my life or my well-being. And while I had moved on from the trauma, it will always be a part of me, a reminder of the darkness that exists in the world. Just a few weeks ago, we were on a road trip from BC to San Diego, and we came upon a campsite just outside of Crescent City, California. We drove through. One side of the campground was relatively empty. I noticed a few scattered tents, but nobody close to the location we ended up picking. We had tons of space. We wanted in early night, so I started a fire while my girlfriend started cooking. We ate, had a few beers, and climbed up to our rooftop tent with our dog by 9 p.m. or so. I had a rough time sleeping and woke up a few times, but finally fell into a decent sleep. In the pitch dark, with all of our tent windows and canvases closed, I was awoken at 1 a.m., by someone whistling outside of our tent, the tune of When the Saints Come Marching In. After a few minutes of this repetitive whistling, I nudged my girlfriend, who awoke and was obviously freaked out as well. The whistling then turned to chanting things like, When you sleep here, you disrespect me, and when you disrespect me, You disrespect the U.S. Marines. The person would then start spelling out words like F-L-E-E. The verbiage and tone kept getting more aggressive, so we decided we had to make a move. I slowly unzipped the tent while our guard dog was snoring and got my head out of it. I took a few seconds to let my eyes adjust and figure out where this person was. I felt more confident once I could somewhat see and hear. So, I climbed down and the girlfriend passed me, the dog, and she climbed down too. We flipped the tent up without securing it and we jumped into a truck, while the person was still whistling, to a motel in Crescent City. The next morning we drove back to get the few belongings that weren't in the truck and the family who had been camping a few sites over said it went on for another 2-3 to hours and it was the creepiest thing their family had ever experienced. Needless to say, we will never be going back to that campsite again. I wasn't in the woods, but what I saw came out of the woods behind my house. I saw an alien, no joke. To this day, I still wonder if I was somehow tripping on something I ate on accident or something else. I was sitting in my room by myself reading a book while my boyfriend was in the living room watching TV. Out of nowhere the automatic spotlight behind my house turned on. I looked to the sliding glass door and a figure started approaching the door. At first, I thought it was my neighbor, who was older than me and about the same height, but as it got closer, I realized it was something else. I remember it approaching the door slowly It stopped at the sliding glass door for a few seconds and just started staring at me. It felt like an eternity passed by. I remember specifically how long it felt when in reality it was probably only a few seconds. I remember it was dark black. It had a rounded head just like you see in the movies and was about 6 feet tall. Two arms... Two legs, really skinny. The thing about it is that it was so close to me, right on the other side of the glass, that there is no way I could have mistaken it for a human. I know what I saw. After a few seconds of staring at me, it just turned to the side and walked away in very long strides. It went out of my view and back into the woods, and I immediately ran out of my room and screamed for my boyfriend. Of course he didn't believe me. I had to go to sleep that night knowing I had seen a legit alien a few feet away from me earlier. To this day, I still get chills when I think about it. My eyes always start watering when I think about it. I know it wasn't a dream. I know what I saw. But still, no one believes me. The thing that creeps me out the most was its demeanor. I remember it coming slowly up to me and then slowly walking away back into the woods. That's what scares me the most. Like, there was no rush to it. It was just watching me. I believe in aliens, but I don't really believe in aliens visiting Earth, so it's been hard to cope with. I think what I saw, if it really was an alien, is what some people call a gray. To this day, I have trouble sleeping, still thinking that thing is on the other side of the door. Some friends and I would take my truck up to the mountains as we love the forests up there during the winter time, and tow someone on a tube across the snow. We'd drop the tailgate in my old longbed Ford and a few guys would sit in the back with one of those bazillion candlelight spotlights. When I was driving, it'd be fun to make really wide turns in the dark, so the person on the tube didn't have the luxury of headlights or taillights to somewhat illuminate their trail. The person in the bed of the truck with the spotlight would be funny and shine the light clear off to the side so it was pitch black if you were on the tube. One particular winter night, a snowstorm was rolling in, so we headed up to the usual spot, and it got dark quick. A friend was on the tube. I was driving, watching my mirrors as I'd swing him wide enough that he had little light to see anything. The guy with the spotlight shined the light clear to the side of the truck and as I checked my mirror I made eye contact with a guy dressed in jeans, a red plaid shirt and a blaze orange ball cap. As we made eye contact I lost all control of my body for probably about 5 seconds, but it felt like an eternity. I stopped the truck and turned it around and asked the guys if they saw him. They all said no, so I flipped the truck around and turned on the high beams and they shined the spotlight all over. I got out and looked for footprints in the fresh snow and saw nothing. That night, we went back home and I told my dad about the weird experience and he didn't think anything of it. A week later on the news, the police reported finding a body in the area close to where we were and asked for any tips. My old man convinced me to call the police and tell them we were up in the area and saw that guy. I called and the police said they'd send an investigator over. He came over to the house. I recalled the same experience, saying it happened seven days earlier. As soon as I said that, the investigator asked me, Are you sure about your date? I was positive, and he showed me a picture of the body they found wearing the same red plaid shirt and blaze orange ball cap. He informed me the body had been on the mountain for at least one month, so I must have just seen something. Turns out it was a man who suffered from some mental handicaps and committed suicide in the forests on that mountain one month prior to when I saw him. I was on a backpacking trip in the remote woods of Northern California when I stumbled upon an old, abandoned cabin. At first, I was excited to have found some shelter for the night, but as I approached the cabin, I felt a sense of unease wash over me. The cabin was old and run down, with a rusted tin roof and peeling paint. The windows were boarded up and the door was barely hanging on its hinges. It was clear that no one had lived there for years, but something about the cabin called out to me, and I couldn't resist exploring it. I pushed open the door, and the musty smell of mold and decay hit me like a wall. The inside of the cabin was even more decrepit than the outside. The floorboards creaked under my weight, and the furniture was old and covered in dust. It was clear that no one had been in this cabin for a very long time. But then I noticed something strange. There was a small room off to the side that had been barricaded with wooden boards. The boards were old and weathered, but... They looked like they had been put up recently. My curiosity got the best of me, and I pried the boards loose with my backpacking axe. As soon as I stepped into the room, I knew that I had made a grave mistake. The room was pitch black, and the air was thick with the smell of decay. I could hear something breathing in the darkness, and I knew that I wasn't alone. I fumbled for my flashlight, but it wouldn't turn on. I was trapped in the darkness with whatever was in that room with me. Suddenly, the breathing stopped, and I heard something moving towards me. I could feel its hot breath on my face, and I knew that I was in mortal danger. I tried to run, but my foot caught on something in the darkness and I fell to the ground. I could feel it closing in on me, its breath on my neck. But then I heard a loud noise, and the darkness was filled with a blinding light. I looked up and saw that a group of hikers had found the cabin and were shining their flashlights into the room. I don't know what would have happened if they hadn't found me, but I do know that I will never forget the terror that I felt in that cabin, or the feeling of relief when I was finally rescued. It turned out that the cabin had been used by a group of squatters who had been living there for months. They had barricaded the room to keep anyone from finding them, and they had been watching me as I explored the cabin. I was lucky to escape with my life, but the experience left me shaken and disturbed. The thought that someone had been watching me, waiting to attack, was enough to keep me from ever returning to those woods again. In the end, I learned that sometimes curiosity can lead to danger and that the wilderness is not always the peaceful place that we imagine it to be. For many years, my husband Alan, his brother Sean and I enjoy getting into the great outdoors, which includes a lot of hiking through the woods and fishing, especially for my brother-in-law, who considers himself a kind of expert in fly fishing. When we camped by a beautiful, secluded river last spring, Sean was ecstatic. Alan and I woke up one morning and decided to go for a hike and do some wild strawberry picking. Naturally, Sean declined as he wanted to try his luck again with fly fishing the pristine river. The day turned out to be glorious, so we decided to keep hiking and picking while Sean continued fishing. It was almost twilight when we returned to camp, and as soon as we arrived, I had a feeling that something Wasn't right. Our tents were undisturbed, and nothing seemed out of place, apart from the fact that Sean was missing. Alan found his line and gear on the banks of the river, and slowly, panic started creeping in. We searched high and low, well into the night, using our flashlights. Just as we were about to give up and call the authorities, we heard yelling coming from the river. We scrambled down the mountain and past the tent, then skidded to a stop when we saw something emerging from the water. At first, it looked like a mud monster staggering out from the water and then falling to its knees. When Sean's voice groaned loudly, We knew that it was him. Alan yelled to me about getting a blanket while he ran over to his brother. On my way over with the blanket, I saw that Sean was completely naked. He was covered in mud, but when Alan told him to go with him to the river to wash it off, he screamed, No. Alan and I looked at each other, not knowing what had happened, as Sean wouldn't speak after that. We wrapped him in the blanket and set him in front of the fire. It took a while before he told us what happened. We had left to go hiking and Sean had started setting up to fish when he heard something in the middle of the river, like a gurgling sound. Thinking that it was either a drowning animal or a freak whirlpool, He put on his waders and made his way into the water. He said that the last thing he remembered was being dragged under. While we listened to his story, he began to shudder and shake his head like he was trying to shake off a terrible memory. When we pressed him to go on, he finally blurted that he had been attacked by some sort of monster. Alan and I looked at each other, obviously thinking the same thing that Sean was hallucinating. We gave him a warm cup of cocoa and soon got him off to sleep. The next morning, Alan was able to take him to the edge of the river to wash the mud off. My blood froze when Alan yelled for me to come over. I couldn't believe the horrible scratches gouges, and bite marks on Sean's flesh. He looked like he was covered in bizarre markings. There were strange circular rashes on his torso, which Sean explained, while sobbing, that they were marks left by the monster's tentacles. There were strange scratches up and down his legs, like he'd been whipped by the cat-o'-nine-tails and many deep cuts. The freakiest wounds were the bite marks, which looked more like he'd been bitten by large bird beaks. As we cleaned him up and administered first aid, we heard a strange gurgling, bubbling sound coming from the river. Sean started screaming and racing up the mountain before he even got dressed. Alan jumped up and started packing our gear without even checking out the creepy sounds. He said to me, We're not waiting to find out, let's go. It wasn't long before we raced after Sean back to safety. All three of us still don't have the guts to go back and figure out what the hell happened that day or what unholy creature lives in that river. When I was a child, it was just me and my mother. We lived in a property owned by my grandma, a three-story old farmhouse right at the fringe of the woods. It was far off the road, down a long, unlit gravel driveway. It felt very isolated at night, being so distant from any other houses, set in an area that hadn't been inhabited for thirty years before we started living in it. Quite often, I was a fairly rambunctious child, so while my mom went off to work, I would occasionally skip the morning bus to school and stay home alone all day. The big house had a habit of feeling incredibly lonely and sparse, so I went most of my time playing in the forest expanse out back. Some distance into the woods, far enough that I couldn't hear my mother when she called. There was a toppled pine tree which had crashed into another. An even larger trunk on its way down was now frozen there, forming a long arch over the forest floor. I loved to climb up the jagged stump at the base of this fallen tree and then steadied myself to a point just above the middle. I was never able to make it all the way to the top, because it just got too steep for me to continue any further, and I had a bad habit of freaking out from how high up I was. One day, I was sitting in my usual spot on the fallen tree, which was a good distance from the ground, just listening to the birds singing and simultaneously feeling the warmth of the sun on my neck when I heard something strange from underneath that paralyzed me in shock. Hey kid. I was gripped by a sudden strong surge of fear for a moment. The voice had come from directly beneath me. I strained to look down, but couldn't see anything over the ledge. For a long time, I just sat there in absolute silence, and I was at the point where I was almost soon to convince myself that I had imagined hearing a man's voice at all. I know you can hear me. His voice was much louder this time, as I yelled something back and scrambled up the log a bit higher. Trembling nervously, I dug my fingernails into the bark and held tight for dear life. I sat there trying to collect my nerves for God knows how long. Although I couldn't see it, the presence of the thing underneath me was still clear. The bird song was much softer and more cautious this time, and when I listened closely, I swear I could hear the faintest echo of human breathing. Gathering all my courage, I vowed to prove to myself that it was all my imagination by leaning over the ledge as far as I possibly could without slipping right off. Digging hard into the bark behind me, I stretched out along my arms and peered over, getting a full view of the empty forest floor and undergrowth, when suddenly, come down here or I'll come up and grab you. It was so loud. It was as if it was being screamed right into my face. I released my grip on the tree in fright and plunged off the platform. I was saved only by grabbing a nearby branch, and for one awful second, my bare legs dangled in the cool air. When I pulled myself up, I ran at full speed to the top of the collapsed pine, to the point I had never reached before. I sat there, just below the rustling canopy, pissing myself and staring at the distant base where the splintered wood rose, fully expecting, at any moment, to see someone crawling rapidly up the pine towards me. Instead, all I heard was the wind whistling in the leaves above me, and below me, and occasionally, snippets of bird song. It was about two hours before my mother got home and found me, after much worried searching, trembling, and crying at the top of the fallen tree. Although this incident spooked both me and mother, in time I somehow recovered, exhibiting that naive hard skin of a child, although I never went as far into the forest as I used to, and never again even approached that fallen tree. Once when I was 12, I had the chore of taking firewood from the shed out back, just at the edge of the woods, and to bring it back inside the house. It was a tiresome job, and I always chose to do it at dusk when the air was brimming with mosquitoes and a swampy fog that usually coated the lawn. By the time I had made my last round, I would sprint back to the house, spooked. One of my least favorite things about this job was that the shed was full of barn owls. If you have ever seen a barn owl's face staring at you from a dark roof corner, then you will know how uncomfortable that shed made me. One of these nights, it got mistier than it had ever been before. A thick silver fog covered everything and limited my line of sight to a short sphere around me. Even though the shed wasn't far from the house, I found myself feeling disoriented and more than once I walked in the wrong direction, both times for some reason walking straight into the woods. By the time I had reached my last load, it was too foggy to see the street. My eyes stung in the moisture and it made my vision blur. Lurching forward, I managed to walk headfirst into a tree, doubling over and dropping all of the wood I was bundling onto my feet with a hard crunch. As I went to pick them up, with my foot throbbing pretty hard, I realized that the ground was too misty for me to see my own knees. I decided to head to the house, since we had more than enough wood for one night. However... It was getting to be pretty dark, and I couldn't make out any signifiers of which direction I was heading in, even though I cautiously walked for several feet in all directions, trying to figure out my position in the mists. I still couldn't figure out any point of identification. I couldn't even locate the fence or the gate. And the more I walked, the more I seemed to stumble into trees, pine needles, and mud crunching under my feet instead of dew-covered lawn. After a while, I finally realized that I couldn't even find the shed anymore. Cursing myself for being so dumb, while trying to ignore my thumping heart and sense that something else was at play, I became aware that I was lost somewhere in the fringe of the forest. Screaming out for my mother at the loudest possible volume was only met with a resounding silence from the depths of the mist all around from where I stood, affirming that I had wandered too far from the house to be heard. As a deep panic started to settle on me, I noticed a glimpse of something pink moving against a nearby pine trunk. Coming closer... I saw that it was a ripped-out square of pink paper. On it, there was an arrow pointing left. Looks vaguely like something my mom might make. I rationalized to keep me from getting lost. So, foolishly, I followed the direction set by that green arrow, shivering in the increasing cold. I kept walking for about five to ten minutes, before needing to stop to take a breath. My heart was pounding so fast, it was beginning to hurt. As I was sitting down, however, I spied what happened to be another note fluttering on a nearby trunk. I noticed that this one was embedded with a long nail. It bore another arrow, this one pointing up, and a small, sloppily written note that said, this way. Despite my increasing panic, I convinced myself that these notes were my only shot at getting back before nightfall. I was desperate to get the hell out and my brow was cold with sweat. So I followed the green arrow, to a point where I could just dimly make out another spot of pink up an incline of collapsed stumps and leaf litter. At this point, it was getting pretty dark, and I had to strain both my eyes just to see a few meters ahead of me. Following the green arrows, feeling less and less sure of where I was, I stumbled through the woods, groping out in the mist to feel for trees, although I was terrified of something unseen grabbing my arm. I came across the third green note, which had another arrow pointing up again, This one led to an increasingly steep slope that I didn't recognize being anywhere near my house and with a poorly drawn smiley face right above it. At this stage, I became too freaked to cope and started to cry there a little. As I slumped against the pine stump, the possibility that I would be out in these woods all night was beginning to sink in, like a syringe being driven into the veins within my arm. I caught a glimpse of another pink square in the near distance. Squinting hard, unnerved by these notes, all of which looked fresh and without sign of decay despite the previous week's nonstop rain, I read it from afar. What I read made my blood turn cold. I stood to my knees, dead silently, wobbling on them in fear. My ears were sensitive to any tiny prickle of noise in the mist. For a long time, I stood there in the rolling fog, reading and rereading that horrible note over and over again, before a snapping stick somewhere behind me caused me to sprint, blindly, twigs snagging at my ankles and cutting up my face as I ran. Written on the note, in big green letters, was my name. It felt like I was running for hours all the while. The rain and mist lapped at the back of my neck like the decaying breath of someone running right behind me. Somehow, I made it back to the house. All the lights were off, and I struggled to find the keys for a moment. When I found them, I bolted indoors and quickly crawled into bed where I remained, unsleeping Till morning Mom just thought I'd come inside and gone to bed and hadn't thought to leave the lights on it was a miracle aka some freakish coincidence that I even found the house at all the final incident at that damn house was witnessed only by my mother up until then, She had never experienced any of the strange things as I had, although we mutually shared the peculiar oppressive quality that the house's interior had on us and its placement in the dreary, imposing woods. Although I was obviously never a popular kid, by living way out in the country in the opposite direction from everyone else at my school, I did make some tight friends in my first year of high school. One of these friends, Amanda was her name, invited me over one night and I accepted. My mother drove me out to the place, which was about three miles away, then drove back home. The night went well. We watched a horror movie, devoured some pizza, and probably smoked a little pot. My mother went home alone, where she intended to get some writing done. She worked for a magazine at that point. It was about midnight when I received an off-putting text for mom in all caps. Is this a prank? I need to know immediately. Thinking it was some kind of joke, I texted back. Calm yourself, as what a prank. Almost immediately, the response. Are you at the house of course I responded no though I was thoroughly weirded out I didn't receive another message until around 3am when she told me to go to my grandma's in the morning and to not by any means dare go home I remember those bleak torrents of rain the day I went to my grandmother's and how terribly soaked I was when I finally got there It was nearly two towns away. I had to fight the temptation to go home and drop off my bags, but Mom's disturbing messages from last night were enough of a warning not to do so. When I arrived, Mom and Grandma were having lunch. At first, my mother seemed to be in some sort of composed state, but when I got a better look at her, I noticed that all of the color had drained from her face and she was slightly trembling. At one point, she even sent a small glass crashing to the floor after flinching at the cat brushing around her ankles. It wasn't until later that night, when my grandma was sound asleep, that she told me what had happened. She went further as to forbid me from telling old grandma out of fear that it would horrify her superstitious soul too much. This is what happened the night when I was at Amanda's, as she described it in lurid detail. My mother was sitting on the first story in the living room, where she sat on the couch by the fire, curtains open to the view of the sunset on the canopy, going over her latest draft. At first, it was so faint... That she barely noticed it, but after a while, my mother became aware of, and vaguely irritated by, tiny thumping noises near her head at the window. When she went over to investigate, she saw fat, brown moths of a kind we often got at that place, buzzing madly into the glass. Reasoning that this was the cause of the sound, she returned to her work, however, feeling rattled in some way. It was when the noises started to get sharper and louder that she paid more attention and saw that rocks were being thrown at the window from the total blackness of the forest edge. She saw them appear from the shadows of the bush and then fall in an arc and bounce off the window. Looking carefully, she could see small cracks from where some heavy ones had hit right beside where her head had been moments before. Temporarily captivated, she tried to peer into the darkness enough to make out where the rocks were being thrown from. Then, with a startled shock, she jumped back from the window as she saw me standing half behind a tree right near the window, grinning wide and staring at her my one visible eye stretched wide open, showing all the white. She barely stifled a scream, seeing her own daughter standing there, just staring and smiling. Not only did the figure not move nor blink, it was standing by one of the nearest pines, far from where the rocks were shooting up out of the bush, as they continued to do so in a loud downpour. My face unceasingly continued to press out at her, smiling. Thinking this was all some kind of sick prank, hence her later text, my mother shouted my name at the top of her lungs, frightened to the core. However, instead of responding, the mouth of the thing that looked like me behind the tree just started moving as if it were mouthing silent words really, really fast. Suddenly, it turned its head to the side and seemed to be talking to someone else behind the tree, my mom said, who couldn't be seen. But she could see a formless, black shape hanging against the other side of the tree. The girl that looked like me kept staring at my mother and doing the silent, speed-talking thing, then turning and whispering to the thing next to her. Then she would turn back and start up again. Then breaking the monotonous spell, she suddenly pointed straight at my mother and started laughing. My mother screamed and fled to my bedroom on the second story, the only room with a working lock, where she shut herself in and sat at the far end of the bed as the rocks began to pitter-patter against the window downstairs. Dry heaving and weeping in fear, In my room, my mother said she did not feel safe. There was an awful smell and a weird humming noise in the walls, as she described. She tried to pray for a time before giving up and just listened to the rocks pelt the walls and windows. Somewhere in the kitchen, she caught the distinct, vibrant sound of a window actually smashing. And the weird, continuous humming. Listening more carefully... She could identify it as the softest hint of a mumbling voice. In absolute horror, she recognized the voice and then, virtually too afraid to look, she tilted her head up to the closet door where an awful white face could be seen staring right at her, mouth contorting and gaping in what sounded like highly sped up whispering. The closet door was only a meter from my mother. It started to open slowly. In an unimaginable explosion of terror, she immediately bolted to the door, only to fumble with the lock as bigger and bigger rocks came crashing through the window, which burst apart in a spray of glass shards before finally getting out, running out of the house, completely keeping her eyes off the woods, getting into her car and driving off. She said that as she glanced back, right at the end of the prolonged drive, she saw two unmistakable human forms standing at my broken bedroom window, watching as her car got further and further away from our house. This would be their final farewell, as my mother never stepped foot in that place again. As my mother told this story, she broke down into tears. I didn't doubt her, and I still don't. I honestly and fully believe that she experienced what she said she did. It was also quite clear that we were done living in that house for once and for all. I only went back once with my dad, who I see very rarely now. He came from another state to help us move. Mom had already found a place in town and moved in. My dad and I just loaded up his truck with all that was left inside there. It was a silent, sunny morning when we removed all the stuff and emptied the place. I wish I could say there was some closure, some final spooking to cap it all off, but there wasn't. It was just a relief to be out of there. There are, however, only two things left worth mentioning. Number one. When we checked the house for any signs of intruders, we found that several windows Including one in my bedroom in the kitchen, had been smashed and rocks were lying on the floor. Number two, Dad went out into the trees for a bed to take a leak. When he came back, he asked how long we'd had the swing set for. Needless to say, we'd never had a swing set, so I was fairly unsettled to discover that in the weeks since we had been gone, Someone had assembled a rope swing set from one of the highest branches of the old pine over the ridge, against which was the fallen log I'd stopped climbing many years ago. It was obviously new rope and a nicely polished, sanded-down wooden seat at the base. Dad, wanting to keep my mind from recent events, he doubted the affair and thought my mother was mentally unstable said that a neighbor probably set it up, not realizing it was on our property. Of course, he knew as well as I did that we had literally no neighbors for at least a mile in any direction. There were no houses in all that space, and never in my time living there did I ever see any other signs of human habitation. But I let it all go and was pleased enough just to say good riddance to that horrible place as we drove off for good. For the most part, I found it best to try and forget what happened at that place. Sometimes, I just can't help but ponder it, though. It's been long enough now that I no longer feel scared talking about it, but for a long while, I couldn't. My grandmother just recently sold the house to a new family, That being a young couple and their little son, shortly after we moved out, despite my mother's desperate insistence that it be left empty. Now she refuses to talk about what happened altogether. I'm less anxious about it, although sometimes I can't help but let my imagination get the better of me. All I can do is think of that old house, the fallen down tree, the new occupants, and the swing out back gently spinning in the breeze as that little boy toddles obviously towards it. And that, dear listeners, is the end of these true Deep Woods stories. If you are already sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. And if you're awake listening to these... I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a great morning, afternoon, or...